0: We've been working on a series this last little while called Mine, and I just could not help but think of this video clip, and we think especially of all the things that we go, mine, 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 and as we wrestle with that, and what is it that God is speaking to us about? And uh, we've been working through this video, through this series, if you have not heard some of the other messages, you can catch up with them online. And the idea is that this whole series sort of fits together. And uh, some of the things that we talk about on one Sunday uh, kind of complement the things that happen on some of the other Sundays. Now, talking about money is uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable for me as a pastor. It's probably uncomfortable for you, too, having to listen to someone talking about money. It can make us squirm a little bit. And I'm keenly aware of this, is that when we talk about money and the use of our finances and things and materialism, we're approaching it very much as a first-world issue. Some of you maybe have come from backgrounds and have had experiences which are nothing like what we experience here in North America today. Some of you grew up during depression years or during the war times. Some of you come from countries where finances were nothing like where they are here. And that shapes your perspective. And I'm keenly aware of that. So as we talk about money and finances, I encourage you to take this, bring it into your experience... And say, Lord, what are you saying to me? So we are talking about stewarding our lives. And a steward, and that's not a word that we use very often, but a steward manages the, re- the uh, resources or the affairs of another person. And in some ways, uh, uh, I came to the church here in Bethany about a year ago. My role is to be your steward my role is to manage the operations and the finances and things like that so they are not my money this is not my building Uh, if i treat this money that you give as mine i go to jail right and in a sense the lives that we have they are not ours they belong to christ and, and we manage them and we steward them in that way. Uh, a steward manages according to the stated purpose. I don't make up the purpose. My role is to fulfill the purpose. The board, pastor staff, those in leadership, they process with your help what is our purpose as a church. And they give leadership. My role is to manage according to that purpose. Uh, and I'm accountable for this kind of management. If I don't lead and I don't manage according to what's given me, then I'm being unfaithful as a steward. And so as we think about stewarding our lives, we think, Lord, you have given me this life. Everything I have has been given by you. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7 says this, What do you have that God hasn't given you? And if everything you have is from God, why boast as though it were not a gift? And the concept is that everything we have, God has given us. Your life breath, your consciousness, your ability to generate income, your health, your ability to think, And to reason, your ability to experience joy, to have dreams, to have a future, to have faith. See, God gives all these things as a gift to us. This morning we were singing in this this one song that everlasting, never-ending, extravagant love of God. And see, our generosity is based on God's generosity. And when he reaches out to us and he shows us his love, our response is to respond in kind. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7, as Paul is talking about giving, And he says this, don't give reluctantly or under compulsion, but for God loves a cheerful giver. What he's saying there is that God loves it when we are extravagant and generous and we are not holding on to just our own the same way God is that way. In fact, if we don't get this one key part, we will misunderstand everything about generosity. And the key part is this is that God shows his generosity to us first. And then our response is out of out of a response to his generosity, is therefore to be generous. Now sometimes we think of it the other way around, don't we? Sometimes we think, well, Lord, if I am generous, then you will be generous with me. And We sometimes think, well, if I give God my 10%, then he will bless me, which is true. But that's not where it begins. It begins first with God's generosity. It began first with him giving you life. For him, putting his spirit in you. For him stirring in your life. For for making you a human being fashioned after his likeness. That's where the generosity begins. And unless we grasp that part, it's hard to get why we should be generous. When you look in early in the book of Acts, and you take a look at how extravagant and how strange... The early believers were people took note you read there in early acts where out of their faith no one considered anything that they had that it was their own and they freely shared with everyone else and I want to tell you when faith starts shaping your decisions especially your decisions about money you know it's real You know it's real. And all of a sudden, people were doing things that were so unusual. You read about that in Acts where people decided, I'm going to sell some property, and you know what I'm going to do with that property? I don't really need the money. I'm going to give it to others in need. When people do something like that, everyone takes notice. I guarantee you, if someone in our congregation here sold a piece of property, and started giving money out on a Sunday morning? Yeah, here's some money for you. You know, there'd be a nice long lineup, I'm sure. But people would take notice, wouldn't they? The thing is, is when our decisions of faith start affecting how we look at our money, at our things, at all that we have, you know something is real. Something is radical. Something has changed that person. And this was the quality of faith that was happening there early in the New Testament. And people took notice. And here's the truth. Our generosity is a reflection of how we understand God's generosity towards us it becomes reflected in our faith. In fact, the, un- the unfortunate thing is that I see happening even in my life is that as I get older and that point of receiving God's grace, it kind of recedes in, in the rearview mirror and I don't remember so much about God's grace, I find myself getting less generous. And that's a problem that I've been wrestling with in my own heart. And as I look at it, I go, Lord, where is that early joy that I had in both following you and in being generous? And I realize that sometimes I forget just how generous God has been with me. And I forget his goodness and his patience and how he forgives me over and over and over. But see, our faith gets reflected in how we deal with our stuff, how we deal with our finances. Now, our world here in North America is built on materialism. Our economy needs us to keep wanting more. That what I have isn't quite good enough anymore, I need to upgrade. And while our society needs that and wants that, And encourages that and feeds that. In fact, advertising isn't just about giving you information. It's about creating a need that you didn't even know you had. That's the purpose of advertising. But unfortunately, that's one of the things that wars against our souls. Whether you are a believer or whether you are not a believer... That materialism acts like an acid eating us out from the inside, changing us, shaping us. In fact, Jesus told many stories and had many teachings about money, always warning us about its danger. You know, Jesus told a story about the condition of our hearts and how that affects how we hear God speaking to us. And he told that story about the sower of the seed. The farmer who went out and planted. And the seeds fell on the pathway. And some fell on the rocky ground. Some fell among the thorns. And some fell on the fertile soil. And he says this in Matthew 13. He says the seed that was falling among the thorns. Refers to someone who hears the word of God. But the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth chokes the word, making it unfruitful. And interesting how he uses this term, the deceitfulness of wealth. See, wealth tends to promise us so much joy, so much satisfaction. Boy, I can hardly wait till I'm making six figures. Then I will have it made. Then I don't have to worry Then I've I've, I've got a certain amount of status. I can afford all the things that I want. That's the deceitfulness of wealth speaking. Because it promises so much and delivers so little. Some of us might think, wow, I don't have much money to be generous with. But when I start making a lot more money, I'm gonna be so much more generous. I wanna tell you something that I've discovered along the way. It does not matter if I have a little bit or if I have a lot, generosity is still something you're going to wrestle with. In fact, having more just ups the stakes. In fact, sometimes we can find it easier to be generous with a little and as we get more, wait a minute, that's a lot of money. Should I really be giving that away so freely? That's not very responsible of me. And we can start wrestling with it. But the thing is, wealth promises so much and delivers so little. And when we set our heart on finally making it or finally saving up enough, it's not the way we imagined it would be. And what it does is that it chokes God's message in our life, making it unfruitful. In some ways, the finances and the things and the materialistic things that I gather to me, while in some ways I need some, but on another hand, it's not good for me. It changes something within me. You know, Jesus had an experience. A young man came to him and he's saying, good teacher, what must I do? What good things must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus, sensing and knowing what, where his heart was, he's, he responds, well, you have to obey all the commands. And the man says, well, I've obeyed all those commands, but what more should I do? And the scripture says that because Jesus saw where his need was and that he was a man of great wealth. He says, I want you to sell everything you have, give it to the poor, then follow me. The story tells us that the man went away with great sadness because of all he had. Because his money was standing in between him and heaven. And the disciples were standing around and commenting about this situation. And Jesus makes this controversial statement. He says, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Now sometimes we debate what that means, the eye of a needle. But the concept is, is that what... Jesus is saying is that it is so difficult for a rich person to get into heaven because our finances start getting in the way between us and God. And when the disciples were saying that, they said, well, how could anyone ever make it into heaven then? Jesus' response was this, well, what's impossible for man is possible. With God. You see, what we have can become dear to us. It becomes our security. It can become the thing that gives us identity. It can become that thing that we start relying on. Finally, I'm getting what I deserve, or I'm getting what I always hoped for. But it can become a problem. You know, G- Jesus sets the bar low for us. When Paul says, if we have enough food and clothing, there let us be content. That's setting the bar pretty low. Having enough food and clothes. We can find contentment even if that's all we have is food and clothes we can can find contentment and satisfaction and be able to praise God and say, thank you for your generosity. In fact, Paul said in one place, he says, I've learned both whether I have very little or if I have an excess, I can still find that contentment and satisfaction. Now, I always thought that having lots, that's not the problem. Sure, I can be content when I have lots. I've realized in my life that the more I get, the harder contentment really is. That I start wrestling with stuff and the materialism, and I find that its tentacles start working its way through my heart. And while I know I shouldn't set my heart, on material things I see it sometimes happening Paul was talking with Timothy and instructing him about finances and how to be a good pastor and the types of things he was supposed to teach he says this in 1 Timothy six people who long to be rich fall into temptation and are trapped by many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil now he talks here about those who long to be rich he's not saying those who are rich in fact you can long to be rich when you're dirt poor you can long to be rich when you have debt up to your eyeballs the thing is he's talking about a heart condition here those of us who long for to be rich it's amazing how the sale of lottery tickets goes up when they start publishing how much money is on the table right everybody goes out and buys a ticket because they want a piece of that but when we long to be rich We fall into temptation and are trapped by many foolish and harmful desires. It's interesting here. There's that verse right at the end there. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Now, that doesn't mean that in all evil there is greed, though often it's true. But what it's saying is that when the longing to be rich is there in our heart, all kinds of evil things start transpiring we start cutting corners on things we shouldn't cut corners on we start making decisions and going waffling on things well I know it's not right but uh... and it's amazing how that desire for wealth that desire for finances affects us but he says here that we fall into temptation and are trapped by many foolish things and so How can money trap us? And I don't think any of this is new to you. And you could probably say this yourself. The first way is it's that love of money. Money can trap us through greed. I just want more. How much is enough? A little bit more. And we have that passion and that desire for just a little bit more. So money can trap us because we want to get it. And we want to hoard it. And we want to keep it to ourselves. The second way that it can trap us is that we can live beyond our means. And debt can be a real problem. And for those of you who start out in life thinking that, well, I'm going to finance my car, I'm going to finance my house, I'm going to finance my education, I'm going to finance all this stuff, and all of a sudden, there's no way to keep up with it. And what Proverbs says starts becoming true, where the borrower becomes a servant of the lender. I start feeling like a slave to all of my debt, and I have no way to get out of it. And so money can become a real problem for us when debt starts running rapid, when I am no longer living within my means. You know, there's lots of Christian ministries that are that are out there. And a lot of people who write books about good money management. And lots of times they use what they call the 10-10-80 rule of thumb. Some of you are familiar with that. I imagine many of you are. Give away 10%. Put away 10%. And live on the 80. So what you're doing is you're creating margin that... So let's say if I make $1,000 a month, I'm living not on $1,000, I'm living on $800 because that way I have a margin. Now $1,000 a month isn't much. What about $1,000 a week? Am I still creating that margin so that money does not rule my life, does not run my life, So that when I'm thinking about how much money can I finance, can I make my payments with 80%? So that I create the kind of margin so that I am not enslaved to my debt, but it's manageable. And the other way that money can trap us is that we become trusting in money to give us security. You know, I've, I've realized that at this stage of my life I start thinking about retirement and will I have enough to retire? Some of you maybe are thinking about it in your 20s already. I didn't start planning in my 20s. I didn't start planning in my 30s either. I started planning a little later in life. And so I wonder, will I have enough? But sometimes I wonder if that's the wrong question. Maybe the question is, will God still provide for me when I'm retired? Will God still look after me? And maybe that's more the issue that I'm wrestling with. Maybe I'm wrestling much more with, can I trust God rather than trusting my money? So these are some of the areas that money can trap us in. You know, Paul goes on to talk about the things that, he, that Timothy was supposed to teach people. And he says, teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud and not to trust their money. And by proud, he's saying, boy, I've really generated a lot of income. I'm good with my money. I know how to make money. I'm good at this. In fact, I can give you some lessons on how to do it. Being careful about how proud we are because realizing that what I have been able to earn actually has come from the hand of God. And while earlier he uses the term that uh, money is deceptive, here he says that money which is so unreliable, not only is it deceptive, but it's unreliable. And it cannot get you out of everything you think it should help you with. And money doesn't always last. Money can disappear really quick. A couple of bad investments, an accident, poor health, a downturn in the economy, losing a job, someone stealing it all. You know, money can be extremely unreliable. Our things are very unreliable when it comes to bringing us joy and satisfaction. But to realize that money isn't everything. He says, so it's unreliable and that our trust should be in God who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. God gives it to us freely, extravagantly, richly and he gives it to us for our enjoyment now it's interesting how he goes on in the next verse where he describes what does that enjoyment look like tell them to use their money to do good how much fun could you have with your money if you were thinking what good could i do with this I know I need to live, and I know I need to provide for my family, and I need to be responsible in my future planning, but how much money could I do good with? You could have a lot of fun with that, thinking about the good that you could do. Tell them to use their money to do good. They should be rich in good works and generous to those in need, always being ready to share with others. By doing this, they will be storing up their treasure as a good foundation for the future so that they may experience true life. You see, God gives us money and God is generous with us not because we've done good. Not because we deserve it. He's generous with us in order for us to do good. And that's important to realize. Sometimes we think God is blessing me because somehow I've been faithful and I've been righteous. And God does reward faithfulness and righteousness. But God's generous with us so that we can do good. So that we can make a difference. So that we can care for those who are in need. That's not an easy thing to wrestle through, is it? I can remember early in our ministry years, Renee and I were pastoring a small prairie church, and we lived on a main highway, and a lot of people were driving by on the highway, heading to the big city to find work. And it's amazing how it seemed like so many of them seemed to run out of gas money, right about our time. And they would hunt up the local pastor and look for finances so that they could get all the way to the rest of the city. And after hearing that story about a dozen times a year, you start wondering, wait a minute, this doesn't sound right. We, we had an elderly gentleman in our congregation, a very wealthy farmer, who had, in, in many ways, exhibited for us what it meant to be generous. And as we talked to him about this internal struggle, how do we actually help people? How do we give people without actually enabling them? I remember his words, and that st- stuck for both Renee and I. And uh, he said this. He says, you be faithful with what God's calling you to do. You give and you be generous the way God calls you to those people are responsible for what they do with what you give them you know that stood out in our mind and began shaping a response not just how we responded financially but it started shaping the way we were thinking about it and what we do with generosity and how satisfied we even were with giving You know, Jesus says probably more about money in the Gospels than he says about heaven and about hell put together. He he talks more about money and its use, its blessing, its curse than almost any other topic he addresses in the Gospels. But sometimes it's hard to know so With money being so sneaky and so insidious in my life, how do I even know when I'm beginning to run into trouble? And there's probably a couple things, and I I can share these with you because I've experienced some of these. Some of the signals that money is beginning to trap us is fear. Fear starts holding you back. Wow, will I really have enough if I give? What about my future? And I realize that sometimes it's that lack of being able to trust God with the future that shapes what I do with my money today. So if you're experiencing fear with your money, will I have enough? What if something goes wrong? Do I have enough of a nest egg? But the question is, can we actually trust God for tomorrow just the way we trust him for today? Am I okay saying, Lord, I don't know what the future brings. I'm trying to be responsible, but I'm going to trust you with the future. And I know that whatever happens, I will still be in your hands and you will not let me down. Another thing that sneaks in sometimes is judgment, judging others. Sometimes we judge those who don't have as much as we are. Well, that person needs to get a better education. That person needs to get a job. That person needs to do something to be responsible for their life, which may be true, but sometimes we use that as being judgmental with other people. That's ugliness that creeps into our life when we start judging others. And not only do we judge those who have less than us, sometimes we judge those who have more than us. Wow, they're being extravagant. Wow, they're being really materialistic. If I was them, I would give away so much more. And it's it's funny how when we start judging others for their look on life and their materialism and their finances... It starts indicating more of a problem in my heart than theirs. And the third thing that indicates to us that money is trapping us is that when we start getting our identity from it, that because I have a lot or because I have nothing, it shapes how I think of myself. What difference can I make? I have very little. Thinking that difference is made by money, not by life. You see, money can trap us in so many ways. And because it is so sneaky and so subtle, that's why Jesus warns us about it so much. And he warns us about it not just so that we will give our money away, but he warns us about it because it can steal away our faith and the thorns of life can choke out God's word in our life. So, when you see finances startin', starting to take way more energy in your mind than they should, when there's fear or judgment, or you're starting to identify yourself based on what you have or what you accomplish encourage you, take some time to read what Jesus says about finances. Even if you took the book of Matthew and started reading the book of Matthew and said, I'm going to underline everything that Jesus says about money. And I want to see what he says and learn from him and see what he's saying in my life. That's a great place to start. You can explore God's generosity in your life. Lord, show me where you've been generous and help me first to grasp your generousness to me, your love to me, and then let me reflect that in everything else I do. You can go through the act of being generous. Sometimes we have to let go of the things that are trapping us. And when money starts becoming a trap, we can help ourselves by saying, you know what? I need to do something so that I'm not a slave to my money. And start looking for ways to share it with others, to give it to others, to be extraordinarily extravagant with others so that it doesn't sink its talons into your heart. And remember this, that when you give, you're not just giving to people. When you drive up to the stoplight and there's someone in the median strip with a little sign and you decide to give them a little bit of change, you're not just giving to that person. Who are you giving to? Scriptures tell us that we're giving to God. That person on the street, that's not a person there, that's Jesus. That person with a sign, that's not just someone who's homeless. It's not just someone who has emotional or mental problems. It's Jesus. In fact, Jesus says, when you give to the least of these, the lowest of these, even the worst of these, you are giving to me. When I give to them, will I help them? I don't know. But I'm giving to Jesus. And who knows how Jesus will stir in their life. You know, as we take a look in the scriptures about money, even though it's something we need, in some ways it's something that can really hurt us. What's mine The money is mine. God gives it to me. In some ways, I'm a steward of it. And I can use it for good or I can use it for my harm. I encourage you, don't fall in love with it. Don't look to it as the thing that will help you. Don't look to it as the thing that will give you identity because it'll steal everything from you. Jesus Went to the cross to free you. Don't become enslaved by something as little as money. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your never ending, extravagant love towards us. Father, I pray, help us to grasp that first and foremost. To see you for the God of love, the God of mercy, the God of generosity. And Father, we pray that as you change our lives, you would make us more like you. Protect us, Lord, from the love of money and from trusting our money and being fearful of the future because of money. But Father, Enable us to trust you with our future. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.